I don't know how important you really know it is to be able to connect with one another. We have cell groups in this church. That's just a term that we use for small groups. We have all kinds of cells that are getting together and all kinds of small groups. And in this series, our challenge to our congregation has been this, to connect with two or three families and get together and even enjoy the recipe that we've provided for you. You you don't have to do that. You can provide your own or, or you don't even have to do it. The main point is to connect with one another. I had a conversation with a group this past week. In fact, it was a group that I was, was visiting. And as we, one of the things that we do in the groups is there's a welcome portion. It's in your sermon cell we provide for you every week. And it's just kind of an icebreaker. It's just a way to kind of get together and break the ice and start talking about the lesson plan. And this, this is a loose structure that provides you some intentional direction but allows enough latitude for your group to really be you. We don't want any two groups alike because there's no, peop- there's no two people in here that are exactly alike. And as we were checking in with one another, this person began to cry. And I said, well, are you okay? You know what she said? This is the first time I've ever been invited to a group. It's important for us to connect with one another. And I, I, just, I want to just throw that out there as a challenge. I know that we like to be comfortable. I like to be as comfortable as the rest of you. But it's not enough for us to be friendly people. It's not enough for us to just be a friendly church. We have to be so friendly that the love that we've experienced with God that's healed us is so overflowing that it compels us to invite others to be a part of our circle of friends. And I know that that means change. Everybody say that word. Change. And I know that the older we get, the more difficult it is. But here's the thing. Change is one of the only constants in life, isn't it? It comes to every one of us, whether we want it to or not. And I really believe that one of, one of the keys to being successful in life is learning how to manage change so that change doesn't manage us. So I just want to encourage you, be proactive. Look around here. Look at two or three people, that, or at least one family, that you've kind of been wanting to connect with and wanting to get to know a little bit better. And I just want to encourage you to give them a call or... Approach them out here in the gathering space and say, Hey, Terry and I would like to have you guys over tonight to to share a meal with us or to share a dessert and connect with one another and learn a little bit about one another's stories and spend some time praying with one another. Because life's really just about stories with people, isn't it? Amen. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles or your favorite technological gadget. And turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. And I've chosen a rather lengthy passage of Scripture. It's verses 17 all the way through verse 49. And I really don't know how I'm going to get through all of that in 20 minutes. But I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. What I want you to know is that this is Luke's rendition of the Sermon on the Mount that Matthew does in the Gospel of Matthew, and this is a shorter version. Everybody say shorter version. So I'm just kind of giving myself a segue to to paraphrase a lot of this so that we can get through it. But I don't think we do this entire passage justice unless we read every one of those verses because this is a sermon. And so to stop anywhere else in the midst of it would be like stopping right in the midst of the sermon. And some of you might think that's a good idea. If you think that, just kind of keep those comments to yourself this morning. Thank you. 
Well, when I read the Bible, and I've been reading the Bible now for a number of years, I, to me the Bible's a book that's it's full of stories. But stories of human life that's lived out with God. People living their lives with God or, or God living His life with them. And I want us to imagine that. Imagine God living with us. And if you're wired anything like me, that's an exciting subject to let our thoughts reflect upon. And think about it. The Bible's a book full of stories of God demonstrating His desire to do life with us. Now, most of us don't like spending time with people that we don't like, do we? That's a good thing God's God. Because He wants to spend time with us. He desires to spend time with us. And when I read the Bible, I see that it's a story of of God. Even if we go all the way back to Genesis, we see in the Garden of Eden, uh, where, where God is there with Adam and Eve, we're told that God loved them so much that He even walked with them in the cool of the day. Now, how many of you have enjoyed this nice fall weather and have taken advantage of some nice fall walks? How many of you took even greater advantage of it, of doing it with somebody that you liked being with? Yeah. Well, so imagine God liking you and taking a walk with you. That's, that's moving to me. It's especially moving because I'm one of those kind of people who don't like to spend time with people I don't like. If we fast forward just a little more, we come to the story of Noah, and we discover that even after the fall of man, when the sin of humanity had reached such a level that God decided to destroy the world with the flood, that the Bible says that God's love for humanity is still so great that He searches out the entire earth until He finds one righteous man. And here's what the Bible says about Noah living a life with God. It says, of all the people throughout the world, it says, Noah found favor with God. It says that he was a righteous man, are you ready for this? Who walked with God. You see, it's a book that reveals to us the very heart of God, who designed us to do life with Him. Life was designed to be done with Him. And even when we come to the New Testament, we see that one of the Hebrew names that's used to introduce Jesus to us in the very beginning of the Gospels is the Hebrew name Emmanuel, which I think reveals God's plan for life, which means, say it with me, some of you know it, God with us. I want, I want us to think about this for just a moment because... God's idea of restoring wholeness. Everybody say wholeness. And I'm going to define that real simply to you. Wholeness to me is just experiencing life at a level better than I ever even thought possible. Something that's just so beyond me that I just feel so whole and complete that I just feel like I'm all there. And I believe that God's idea of restoring wholeness to this fallen world and everything that's in it, hear me, centers around the idea of God doing life with us. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Noah walked with God. God sent His Son as Emmanuel to be God with us. And for me, when I read the Bible, when I read these stories of God doing life with people, if there's anything that stands out over all of it, it's that people are always loved, they're always liked, 
They're always accepted. They're always forgiven. And they always, when they repent, experience mercy. And I want to be clear about something here because as I understand it, God's plan behind redemption's story just doesn't include the salvation of the hearts of humanity. But the restoration of wholeness to all of creation. And that's, that's way too big for us to touch upon this morning. So I want to focus what time I have left on just the relational aspect of connecting to one another. Us connecting with God, connecting with ourselves, and connecting with others. Because you see, what I believe is that God's idea of doing life with us includes not only living our lives in wholeness with ourselves, but with other people. And the whole of creation, whole just means more completely than I ever thought possible. Have you ever felt so good that you just didn't even have words to describe it? December 21st, 1981, when I had an out-of-body experience. I guess that's how I explain it. I felt the only time in my life I felt whole. I can't even explain it. There was like no lack, no need. I knew I was on my way to heaven and the experience of being loved and accepted and whole, I just don't have words to describe it. It was more than I ever thought possible, beyond me. And if this is true, if my idea of wholeness is true, then it begs the question, can we truly find and live in wholeness in this life if our lives are really only centered primarily around ourselves and not God's idea of wholeness, which is making peace with God, making peace with ourselves and others. Even in all of creation, we are ambassadors of mercy. If there is one verse that I wanted to pick out of all of these verses that I wanted you to take home with you, it would be the one that's on the screen right now, Luke chapter 6, verse 36, where it says, say it with me, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. The translation that I'm reading from this morning says, be compassionate even as your Father is compassionate. To live our lives as ambassadors of mercy. And I think that's what this call to the Sermon of the Mount is really all about. See, God's idea of doing life with Him includes doing life in the community of all of these things. Now, this past weekend, some of you might get ironed to me for this. You probably might even disagree with me. But you got to love me anyway. <laughs> if you want to be obedient. I spent eight hours in the timber doing primarily nothing but watching the leaves fall. Just sitting there, and here came a mother deer with two doe, and I just let them walk by me. And I was so comfortable in this new tree lounger that I've got that I actually fell asleep, snoring. My bow's hanging up here. Creation, wildlife, community's going on, and I'm just sleeping. And all of a sudden, I feel something on my foot. And I look down, and it's this huge, fat mouse. You know, I just woke up. It startled me a little bit, so I just kind of jumped. And, and when I jumped, oh, my goodness, he jumped about 15, 16 inches. I said, sorry, little guy, and I, I let him go. But for me, nature's an example of 
One of the ways that a number of us experience God, and even for me, community. During the night series, I remember Kent preaching a message, and he, he talked about how people experience God. And that one of the surveys that he had read indicated that the majority of people that experienced God had some kind of an experience with God that they could identify with their love for nature. For how many of you is that true? Do you just love to be outdoors? Well, I think that I just want to give you an example of community. This holistic idea of community that involves a love for God, a love for self, a love for creation, and a love for others. Now, I was out in the timber, and I was really enjoying that by myself, and that was good. But I was, I was alone, and there's a part of being alone in solitude that's beneficial, but nobody likes to be alone all the time. So I've got a little Yorkshire Terrier, his name's Roman. And he goes to the woods so much with me, he was just diagnosed with Lyme's disease this past week, and I'm, and I'm treating him for that, but I, I still take him out. And now that it's hunting season, I put a little hunter's coat on him so that nobody mistakes him for a little fox or something. I'm just telling you, I just enjoy being outdoors with him, connecting with the Lord. I spend a lot of time in prayer, but I also enjoy the gift of creation, the natural things, including... My dog, he gives me great joy. He loves me. In fact, I don't, I, I don't know of a better example of unconditional love than Roman, even over my wife, Terry. You know, Terry says she loves me unconditionally, but Roman always shows it to me. <laughs> but sometimes being out there and enjoying nature, watching the leaves fall and watching Roman play, even that can be... Just a little lonely. There's a part of me that misses having my significant other with me. And so when Terry's out there with me or my family's out there with me or some friends are there with me, that adds a dynamic and an element to me enjoying community that, that wasn't there before, and it's beautiful. It's wholesome. It makes me feel more whole. I'm just curious, how many of you have gotten out the past couple of weeks to enjoy these nice fall days and can relate to a story similar to that? Let me see your hands. Yeah, a number of us. Right now, we're right in the middle of a slow church series where the idea for us is, is to look for creative yet intentional ways to connect with one another. We're looking for ways to, to get to know each other just a little bit better and even invite somebody new into our circle of friends. I just want to encourage you to use the things that you do recreationally for fun. Utilize those as links to invite people in to be a part of your life. Here are some of the obstacles that we face. Time. Time because we, there are too many things from which to choose to do with our time today. When I was a kid, I remember growing up every evening, my grandparents and my parents sat out on the porch and drank tea. They had those little wicker lanterns that were lit up, and they sat in them old steel chairs that could rock just a little bit. And we spent every evening, every evening there, right after Lawrence Welk. But now, people, we come and go all the time. And it's 
time, it's not that time is so much the challenge, it's that we have too many offerings from which to choose with regards to what we're going to do with our time. That is the challenge. So much so that we don't even get to know one another very well. And I think that's a shame. In 1988, Terry and I were invited to attend a special conference with a small group of pastors from across the United States. And the neatest thing about this for me is that we were allowed to spend the entire weekend with the Reverend Dr. David Yongi Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world. Now, there were only 39 other pastors and their wives besides Terry and I. And we, got to, we stayed in the same hotel together. We visited the seminar. We got to engage him with Q&As. And we actually got to spend personal time with him. And one of the things that Dr. Cho shared was that when he was pastor in a smaller church of about 5,000 people, his church now is around 900,000, one church, largest church in the world. But when he was pastor in a church of 5,000 people, he had an emotional breakdown because he was trying to do everything himself. Literally about killed him. And it took him 10 years to recover from that. And the take-home for me, that was back in 1988. It was a long time ago. And the take-home for me that still is in my heart today, and I've got to confess to you, I, ha- I, haven't, uh, I haven't been faithful to implement this in my life. I think I'm guilty like some of you of being too busy sometimes. But the answer that he gave for which he credited his success And he defines success by being able to actually enjoy and balance the demands of family, ministry, and still have times for personal passions in life. That's what he learned that he was just doing ministry. He said, he said, after recovering from an emotional breakdown from the strains of life and ministry, I discovered that the missing ingredient to my life was genuine love. He said, I preached about love, I taught about love, I I knew about the love of God, but I really didn't have time in my life to really live out the love of God, unless it was in an appointment. (laughs) That's not all bad. But he said, when I recovered from this, this is what I learned, and now this is a part of every day of my life. And as young ministers, he says, I want to challenge each of you to make sure that all four of these are a part of your day every day. He said, prayer first. He spends two to three hours in prayer every day. Personal study. Not just sermon preparation. Your time alone with God. Rest every day. I integrate rest into every part of my life. You know what the last one was? Take a guess. Play. Prayer, study, rest, and play. Pastor of the largest church of the world, that's the way he has his day ordered. And maybe, maybe this is true for some of us. Maybe, maybe some of us this morning, maybe we're so busy with the offerings that life gives us that we don't have time for one another. And as a result, life with God in many respects and connecting with Him, really connecting with ourselves and really connecting with others is just passing us by. When I look out over this crowd, I see that you're... You can easily understand that five years can go by... Ten years. Life goes by. Fast. Maybe one of the reasons that Americans are so overwrought with emotions that seem to be out of control, like fear and anxiety, and no real sense of peace, no real sense of contentment, no, no real balance, is because, like Dr. Cho, 
a major ingredient and their life is missing. Time to love God. Time to love yourself the way that God loves you. Time to love others. Because this is what the true love of God does. Hear me. It restores your broken relationship with Him. And then it frees you and equips you to love yourself with a love that just can't help but be shared with others. Isn't that what we see in the Bible? These stories of the Bible, life with God? People just run out and they can't wait to tell people that they've met this guy named Jesus. But the way of love always involves all that we are. It involves our whole self, our body, our mind, our spirit. And we've been designed in such a way that life has to be slowed down to really benefit from slow church. Here's a question that I have. Could it be that the missing ingredient to the life is our failure to respond to God's call of love? Our love for God, our love for ourselves, and our love for others. Now I want to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I promise you this is a safe place. Dan's not going to come and throw confetti on anybody. We don't, we're not going to pull any jokes on anybody. I, just, I want to ask you a series of three questions. When was the last time that you prayed for the soul of someone that you know? I mean, really prayed in earnest for the soul of someone in your circles of life within which you run, and not just a family member. Second question, when was the last time that you were willing to enlarge your circle of friends by inviting and allowing someone new to join this long-standing circle of trust? Number three, When was the last time that you even thought of your life as being used as an instrument of God to share His love with others? You can open your eyes now. Here's where I think answering these questions are so important. The way of love is a relational process where the transformation of our inner self learns to reflect God's love. And when that happens, people see and experience God in us because we're walking with God. Just like Adam, just like Noah, just like Jesus. And in our text this morning is a call to the way of love that invites us to follow God's recipe. I want to invite you to follow along in Luke chapter 6 as... We look at this passage together. And while you're turning there, I want to fill us in on just a few things. First of all, um, this story happens in the region of Galilee, where 25 of the 35 miracles that Jesus did actually took place. And I think this is the reason for what Jesus is beginning to experience, what we call the celebrity-type status. He couldn't go anywhere without drawing crowds. 25 of the 35 miracles that he, that he did was in this, this region. The second thing is this. This is a shorter version of the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew's account. And I just want to read verses 17 
uh, through 26. Follow along with me. It says, When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. And there were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. And everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. Now the woes. But what woe or sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. And what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised the prophets. I know that when you first read these words, it appears to contradict what we call common sense, right? I mean, right? I mean, who on earth would choose poverty and hunger and sorrow and being hated over the opportunity to be rich instead of poor, full instead of hungry, laughing instead of sorrowful, and everybody speaking well of you as opposed to everybody hating you? So when I look at these verses, I can't help but think that I think Jesus had in his mind a similar experience where the blessings and the curses of God were given to the children of Israel. Any of you ever heard of that? You can go back and read it in Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28 when God brought the nation of Israel into the promised land. He sent the priests up on two mountaintops, the Mount of Abal and the Mount of Gerizim. And on the Mount of Gerizim, they proclaimed all of the blessings of God. It said that if you will live like this, the blessings of God will overcome you. And the best way that I can describe that, have any of you ever swam in the ocean where a large wave just came and picked you up and literally overtook you and washed you ashore? That's a picture in my mind that I have of Deuteronomy 28 with the blessings of God. But the priest on Mount Ubal read the curses of God. They said if you don't walk in the commandments of the Lord, if you don't walk in obedience with Him, if you're not aware of His love for you, your love for Him, your love for yourself, and your love for others, then these are the curses that will come upon you. And I think that's what Jesus had in mind here when He's doing the Sermon on the Mount. He's sharing for us the ways to do life as Christians. And I think that when we see these, these statements, that they're really just a series of questions very similar to what we just did together when I asked you those three. It's a series of statements and questions that are designed to show us, if you will, the missing ingredient of love in our hearts for the things of God. 
and then provides us with a recipe to follow if we respond to the call of love to live our lives like Jesus. And in verses 20 through 26, Jesus speaks, look at me, look at these, with four conditions in which those who choose to follow him are either blessed or overcome with woe. And for us to understand what Jesus is getting at here, I think we need to realize that he's comparing two different types of people. But what he's not doing here, and this is where so many people get lost, because I don't think they really understand what he's saying, and, and really you have, to, you have to have a knowledge of the rest of Scripture to put these pieces together. Jesus is not comparing two sets of circumstances in which people live. The kingdom of God doesn't belong to everybody who's poor. Everybody who's sorrowful is not always going to laugh. And there's nothing wrong with being rich and having money. But if those are the things that govern your life, if, if, the, if what really brings true happiness to you is the pursuit of things, and not having a right relationship with God, not being able to really love yourself, then you've missed the boat. Instead, he's comparing and contrasting two ways that people have the opportunity to react to circumstances in life. You have God's people and you have people that are not God's people. And make no mistake, this is, this is a comparison between those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And maybe this is a simpler way to help you remember the distinction that I think Jesus is making in these two comparisons with these, with, with, with these four elements. In verses 20 through 22, when he's talking about those who are blessed, this is my paraphrase. I think this is what he's saying. I think he's saying that the people of his kingdom, the people of Christ, may be and find themselves dissatisfied with what this world has to offer. But oh, how happy (laughs) and blessed they can be anyway, because this world is not their home. They're just passing through. Their treasures are laid up, say it with me, somewhere beyond the blue. They're heavenly minded. They know that this earth and everything in it is temporary. It's not the end-all, be-all. And in verses 24 through 26, he deals with the woes of the people of this world who, who live life without God. And I think what he's saying is here is that they may possess treasures. They may be able to express joy, but they do so with no real sense of peace, no real sense of contentment, or at least assurance of eternity anyway. And something is missing in them to the point to where they're not whole. And I think Jesus summarizes what he means and those verses in this statement in another verse where he says, what good does it do you to possess the world and lose your soul? I think that's all he's saying. But the missing ingredient to life is understanding God's love for you. He wants to do life with you. And that when you really have a conceptual understanding of that, you're equipped and empowered to love yourself. And when you realize that God loves you, hey, I mean really, really loves you. Because you know how bad you really are, don't you? Don't we? You can't help but share that love with somebody else. And I think that's why In Luke chapter 6, verse 36, he says, 
be merciful just as your Father has been merciful. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the way that that word became flesh and went to the cross for us and provided a way that we couldn't, that allows us to do life with you, to enjoy life with ourselves, and to enjoy life with others. Lead us on, O King Eternal. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.